Hi, I'm Jen Gibson, and this is Brain Weasels, the podcast where people with firsthand experience talk about mental illness and the therapeutic fun of pop culture. Today's episode is all about tabletop role-playing, specifically Dungeons & Dragons, or D&D. One bit of terminology you should know beforehand is GM, which stands for Game Master. This is the person guiding the story in a game of D&D. With me are Leif Hassel and Penny, aka Doc. Doc is part of the Sandcheck system, a dissociative identity system, which is one where multiple people occupy one brain, formerly called multiple personality disorder. In future episodes, we'll talk about dissociative identity disorder and chat with other people, also known as alters, in the Sandcheck system. Okay, so we're going to talk D&D. And um, I will just preface by warning listeners that um, while I'm not depressed, I'm having some kind of issues with insomnia and exhaustion. And so my, and my brain, and especially because of all of the, the medications that I have to take, um, it, that already slows me down. And so my brain is working at a lower processing speed at the moment. So I'm going to be talking a little bit slower and, uh, it just might take me a while to get my thoughts together. So I'm apologize for that but this is mental health podcast so sometimes you got to jump into the reality of it and uh, it's not always you know laughing about the funny side of depression um there's the actual thing that's Mm -hmm. um that will you know crush you if you're not careful but um but i'm here and that's the important part i'm here and i'm ready to go and uh ready to talk about some D&D because I, I love it. And we're starting with D&D rather than just role playing in general because, um, well, stranger things. Um, but then talking about just D&D in general, um, do either of you have experiences um, where D&D has had a positive impact on your life? Mm. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a given because, I mean, we, we grew up with it specifically since we were, um, like, before we could read. Like, as long as we could remember because our uh, our dad would play it with his friends and sometimes our mom. And we would just be over at his dad's friend's house with his kids and we were besties. And we would have, uh, we would get to flip through the monster manuals while they played. And we would just sit there and, like, watch them play and get to move the miniatures when they told us to and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I definitely think that that's, it's been with us that long. <laughs> and it just went on from there. I mean, we, we started, we got uh, the AD&D starter box set when we were 10 for our birthday because we asked for it. And that was the first time we ever DM'd anything because we were 10 years old. Wow, you started AD&D. young. Yeah. And I'll just say, as, 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 as I'll take the, the, the title of elder statesman here, I, I, I grew up playing D&D in the mm. 80s during the Satanic yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was, you know, you found your little tribe in the back of the classroom mm-hmm. and you all had your books. <laughs> yeah. But photocopying um, pages in yeah. the teacher's lounge, that uh, was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and, and yeah, you know, uh, you would have this sort of secret language, you know, Thaco. What's Thaco? You know, to hit armor class zero. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And so it's, it's, it, it was kind of almost, and it's something that I think, also contributes to some bad stuff that happened later because what that gave us then was it was a little it was it was our group it, mm-hmm. it gave us an identity we, we're the ones that play D we're the geeks 
and the bad part of that is now you get people like in the Star Wars fandom or the Star Trek fandom or name your fandom who have sort of turned that into a gatekeeping thing. And so it just like anything else, there's a positive side, there's a light side and there's a dark (laughs) side. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's, you have to, you know, you learn and grow. And so, yeah, I I was going to say, it's been absolutely bizarre to see it get more popular and to actually see it in the mainstream. That's just the weirdest feeling to me. It's it's like this strange cognitive Mm -hmm. dissonance in a way, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I don't like the idea that it's just, Oh, you don't belong here. I'm always, I've always been one who's just excited that other people are getting into it. I've had people who, um, like that we've been friends of, you know, some unrelated circumstance or convenience or through like one of our siblings or something who've, you know, always been in a different clique when we were in, in school who've come to me and be like, okay, I've always kind of wanted to play it. And, you know, now I'm an adult and it's getting popular again. And would you run a game for me? And that kind of thing. And I, I would never say no. I don't care if you were the, the cheerleader or whatever who would have, you know, thrown my books off the bus at, back in the day. If we're, you know, if you've, if you've changed these days, you, I, you got to leave room for people to grow. Not that you ever have to stay in contact with someone you don't want to, but, you know, if people change their ways, I mean, I don't like, I don't like saying no to that sort of thing because you never know what you're going to open up someone to that's going to then, you know, move them into something better in their life. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bridge that can mm-hmm. uh, connect people and um, a sense of camaraderie. And I think that it actually, it brings out people who wouldn't necessarily interact with other people in other ways, you know, mm-hmm. like if for me, it's really, it's difficult to act, you know? Um, so I had a hard time getting into it. But for a lot of people, that putting on a facade, putting on a different uh, personality to play the game, um, it can be protective, I think, mm-hmm. um, and make them feel less vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Am I am I right in that? Well, and, and I think this is something I actually have discussions with my game group. We, mm-hmm. we have a game group that meets every couple of weeks, and and there are some of us that are very much. Uh, to, to borrow a term, method actors that are very mm-hmm. like, I'm going to get into character. I'm going to have this specific accent and this is my whole backstory. And then there are the people who are just like, I'm going to show up and I'm essentially going to be me, but with cooler stuff and we're going to hit things. <laughs> and the thing is, both of those are valid. Absolutely. Um, there, there's a place where sometimes you need to be that other person. And, and I love that. But there are some nights where I just want to hang out with my friends and eat Doritos yeah. and 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 mm-hmm. smash things with dice, and <laughs> and and there's no wrong way to play. I guess is the important yeah. thing there. It's it's it is both of those things at once, mm-hmm. and 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 like like uh, like Doc said, you've got to be welcoming of people who are coming into a thing you love. If you love that thing, yeah. Even if you think other people aren't doing it right, if they're showing love for that same thing, you've got to be able to say, hey, look, we love this differently, but we both love it. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I think that's another thing that, I mean, we collectively are a forever DM by choice. And part of that for me is because I, I love running games for people and providing that opportunity because I love seeing all the different ways people fall in love with the game or any of the games that I run. And I, I like seeing how they use it, and I like facilitating an environment where 
you know, it's accessible to, to the most number of people and, and intersectional and everything and everyone feels safe. And I also like having an environment where I, I can cater to multiple people's play styles so that, you know, there's harmony at the table and everybody gets to see a little bit of how and why someone else is sharing this story with them. Because, I mean, this goes back to writer stuff about I could wax poetic for hours about, you know, stories being the baseline for humanity that really sets us apart, that has brought us together and helped us survive through the aeons. But, you know, it's, it's, I feel like the, probably the purest form of connecting with somebody else is to share a story. That's why oral tradition is so important. And, and, you know, it's how we as humans play and how important play is even for adults and, you know, all of those things. And so bringing people together under one story, uh, you can start seeing other people's perspectives and their reasons for being. And I, I almost feel like that's kind of the magic of role play, especially when you sit down to tabletop, if, if done right, if you have someone who's leading the pack by example, you can end up seeing things differently when you get out of there I don't know if that mm -hmm. makes sense and even as a DM like my my players have always challenged me in that way where uh, sometimes they'll do stuff or they'll play it a certain way I haven't seen before and I'll have to think about it when I get out of there so yeah I think it's a good it's a good environment that fosters that kind of thing so I feel like if there's almost more there's almost more understanding generated when you're a participant in the story rather than you know, mm -hmm. I think that's why fandom is so popular, too, is once you finally are engaging in it and it's a part of you and you're a part of it, then that's a different way of interacting with the material, the story, the media, and then interacting with the other people for whom it's important and finding out why. And that, that brings up another um, point that um, whenever you're in the space and you're sort of sharing the story and you're creating the story together... Mm -hmm. um, it helps with your imagination. Um, as I, and when I first started, um, I had trouble. I was a little too practical, too literal, too, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I wasn't like in the world. So I had mm. to really push my imagination to understand, okay, I'm not, um, I'm not me. I'm this you know, character, I've got to figure out what they would do in this situation, in this magical world um, that I don't really understand. And just mostly just seeing what everybody else did um, and how their characters interacted, mm -hmm. that helped me a lot. And I think that it, it really expanded my imagination. And I think the importance of that for mental health is changing your mind uh, a little bit, just... Um, Anytime you can um, adjust your mindset, you know, if you're in a depressed mode, then you could be um, spiraling. And so anytime that you can get out of that, even if it's in a fantastic world, um, that's helpful, you know. I think that's actually a good way to sneak a little bit of um, secret gratitude practice in too, because trying, you know, you've, you've failed at something and, you know, or this happened, you, you didn't kill this monster, or maybe you had a character die or something like that. Yeah. And then looking at an opportunity to, well, at least we did this, or we got this dramatic moment out of it, or my character may have died, but now I have a neat story for bringing his brother in for revenge, and I like this guy even better. And so you've got, you know, you've got all kinds of ways to kind of reframe, and as you practice reframing in that scenario, it's just like I, you know, I think we've had, Manny had this conversation last time about LARP and, and being able to kind of process what you're going through 
in a way that's distant from you. It's fictional. It's safer. You know, I think that's the same thing with practicing those skills. It's a low stakes environment to, exactly. to practice mental health skills in almost. <laughs> and you don't even know you're doing it some of the time. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'm going to I'm going to take a take a stab at something that you know more about than me. But it seems like that, in a way, referring to what you were talking about, like when you're depressed or something and finding finding a game and playing, is kind of almost a light form of dissociation. And mm-hmm. you're 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 able to give your brain space to process things while you're doing something else. And and, and it, from what I understand about the various forms of dissociation, that is a protective mechanism that the brain uses. Absolutely. Um, it's a it's a type of escapism. It's essentially, I mean, maladaptive daydreaming is on the, like, I guess the nearer end, I guess is what we would call it, uh, the more common end of the dissociative spectrum. And maladaptive daydreaming is, is just what it sounds like. It's getting so deep into your, your escapism, your fantasies, and your daydreams that they start affecting your real life um, in a negative way, like, like you get You've seen, you know, those kids who get really deep into their role play and then whatever happened in character, they have a hard time separating that from real life mm-hmm. and they'll get genuinely distraught over something that's fictional, things like that. Or people who um, they get so deep into their fantasy that they're playing out that they forget that in reality they can't do something or they don't have something, you know, that they don't actually have because they they dreamt about it too much. But when you get into a tabletop situation, you can control that escapism and that daydreaming because everybody does it and everybody's always going to do it. It's not inherently a bad thing in and of itself, but if you're using it as a maladaptive coping mechanism, it, I feel like it's a be- it's almost a good way to rein it back in because mm-hmm. then you're in a scenario where you're given time and space to daydream and then once you shut it off and you leave, it, there's a very defined line that can help you get out of the dissociative part where you can say, okay, well... Once we're not in this room with the doors closed, we're not in this world anymore, but you've got a break where you can go in and for a little bit you are and you don't have to think about anything else. That really reminds me of something. And then once again, we'll go back to my bard nature. Um, (laughs) My minor was in folklore and and Mm. it's a thing we talk about in folklore, um, which, uh, I mean, it goes by various names and and it happens at various times in in your life, but essentially you've got... Um, uh, it's, the concept is basically sacred space and mm-hmm. the idea that, that you are walking into this place whether it be a temple or a ritual that the group is going to perform or a drug trip or whatever but you're walking into this place and you say in this place the rules are different and here is mm-hmm. how we are going to handle things and while we are here we will deal in this in this ritual space and then mm-hmm. when we leave the rules go back to normal and we, we leave the ritual behind us and it, it's used in a lot of ways to enable people to do things to handle, you know, conflict or to handle uh, problems or changes of life, you know, like, like, uh, you know, a, a bar mitzvah would be a kind of ritual space mm-hmm. because you're going in as one thing and you're saying, while I'm here, this allows me the space to change into something else. And then when we leave, the rules have changed. Um, so I'm going to mention this because you brought it up. Yeah. The um, 
consent in gaming. Yes. Role playing safety tools. Can you explain what that is to me? I'm I'm a big fan of this. I will I will confess mm-hmm. first off, I have not gotten to use it in real world because the gaming group I'm gaming with has been gaming longer than that existed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a set of tools somebody came up with a couple of years ago, and it's really just a really basic questionnaire uh, of like various topics, you know, sexual assault, um, mm-hmm. violence, uh, racial things, uh, any kind of you know hot button topics essentially, and mm-hmm. some of them not so hot button. But it's asking your you give it to your players and you say, hey, look, I want to run a game where everybody's going to have fun. These are the topics that may or may not come up. How do you feel about it? Can you deal with them lightly? Not at all. Uh, Are you fully comfortable with exploring them? Because there is a valid reason to have a game where you're, I want to have a game where we're exploring racial prejudice and you're going to live in a world where your character is hated for who they are. Because that's a valid story to tell. Mm -hmm. But you may be playing with a player that's not ready to talk about that story. That it's too close. It's too personal. Um, and it's just a set of tools that allows game masters and players to come to an agreement and say, we are ready to do this, but not this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, it when I first saw it, my brain just lit up. And I was like, this is a brilliant idea. Because it's not saying you can't talk about these topics. It's saying this player is not ready to talk about this topic now. Right. I would love to talk about that too because that's something when I was running uh, like weekly Call of Cthulhu and some other things back before the Gentleman's Hammer and then with the Gentleman's Hammer, that's been something that we've been doing for a long time is is stuff like that. Although um, we never really like put anything out or proliferated that, but I remember seeing that yeah. and being very excited that somebody else was putting it out there because at that time I, I wasn't sure anybody else was, but it was just something that, especially with horror games, felt very important. And, and you know, we had like a section where it was like, is there anything else that I need to know that's weirdly enough like a big trigger for you that I can actually accommodate? Um, you know, because to some extent you got to curate your own experience. If you have specific things and you know it's a horror game, then, like, don't come to the horror game. Come to the fantasy game. Yeah. But it's still one of those things where I remember I remember one time in specific where it was, it, you know, we had that list. And uh, somebody wrote down, we had a game coming up. And somebody wrote down that um, they were uh, not okay with bad things happening to children oh. of any kind, children and babies. And because of that, um, the game we were running focused a lot on childhood trauma with some of the characters and what they went through. And there was like a secret diary they could find and read through that we had written that had some stuff in it. And, uh, you know, they had said that and then someone else had said something about, you know, some sexual assault stuff, which was also in the game. And uh, there was something there was one of the endings had something happen that involved a kid in the story and we ultimately ended up changing that ending and uh like tearing out those pages and holding them for review if someone wanted to see them specifically because they said they weren't okay with that and I'm like that's fine that doesn't have to change my story completely I can be more vague or I can only give this information to people who ask so they aren't accidentally going to find it and they still have the reward of being able to look through for the clues and steal the diary and translate this and and then they can get whatever ending they want I don't have to last minute worry about them worry or being upset about 
you know, whatever happens to this kid, you know, even, even if it's off screen, they didn't want to see it. And so we, we just were like, okay, that's fine. We'll just change that part. And, you know, so that was something I was glad I actually asked about because, you know, I would never have known otherwise. They'd never said anything about this in person. I didn't know they had a problem with it. And I, I would have, that would have been something that would have been absolutely in the end that is the ending they got that is the clue like they were in the group that found it and were hiding it from the npcs and if i hadn't changed that it would have been a bad time for them unfortunately so and you know just to confess because i think i think it's important to point out that people fail Mm -hmm. um you know i was a punk kid in you know like just like it was like my first or second year of college so I'm a teenager and, you know, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a young guy and, and especially a young guy in the early nineties, we could be pretty toxic. <laughs> um, and I was running a G, I was GMing a vampire campaign and it was me and a few friends. It was a mixed group, men and women. And I kn- knew what a lot of their triggers were. Mm-hmm. And I, because I was trying to make it this grim horror campaign, I purposefully, I knew one of them was very afraid of needles. Mm-hmm. And I purposefully centered their whole experience in one scene around this basically gruesome torture of a guy using needles on them. Mm. Um, and it, looking back, it was really not excusable. Because, I mean, they were completely broken down by the end of that scene. Mm. And at the time, I thought, wow, I managed to get this real realism. And, and but, but I mean, that's kind of like the stories you hear about Hitchcock torturing Tippi Hedren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, great. The movie was wonderful. But you've caused psychological damage yeah. to this person. And to this day, like 30 years later, I still feel ashamed for what I did then. Yeah. Yeah, and I I know I've definitely had those yeah. moments too. You you got to kind of screw up to learn. I'm trying to think of specifically uh like one in particular, but I'm I'm sure there are all kinds of little things, uh, you know. Um well, and I can imagine especially with teenagers, um hormones are raging. They probably want like these sexual scenes mm-hmm. and um not everybody is okay with that. And so I love that I love this asking people beforehand and getting some kind of consent um, because I can see that becoming a real problem. And also, you know, people are processing their own traumas and they're probably um, incorporating some of that into the game and might be, you know, traumatizing other players unintentionally. Yeah. I, I think one of the things when I think about it was um, we took too long for running a whole bunch of horror games to have an escape clause for people. Um, we took them at their word and then it was one of those, well, it's too late to back out now kind of things. And I wish we hadn't done a few of those because what it ended up being was, um, you know, people will say on the sheet, nothing bothers me, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, fuck me up, fam. And then <laughs> you go in and then it turns out, oh, I'm having a reaction to this. I didn't think I was going to have. I don't know why. I've got unknown trauma stuff. And we didn't we didn't have um, like a way to get out of that before. We didn't have a safe word, essentially. Yeah. So it took us a little bit too long, I think, at first. Uh, I mean, because even one would have been too long to um, 
come up with a way for people to bow out of that sort of thing. Not that we ever would have been mad if they had, but when people aren't given like a very clear way of doing that, they can feel super trapped and that kind of thing. And like they're going to ruin the scene for everyone else if they, you know, have to bow out or something like that. Well, and I wonder so. if it is helpful for some people um, to kind of have um, have this, you know, no consequences space that where they can relive, mm -hmm. um, but in a different way, some kind of trauma that they've had. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, that's why I think it's nice about the the, the consent and gaming rules is they they have like a because it's not just a yes or no question. It's like mm -hmm. okay, I'm comfortable talking about this, but not experiencing it. Or I'm comfortable experiencing it as long as I know that we're going to resolve it in the end. I mean, you're 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 given that space to to give yourself. Okay, I want to play through this enough to to sort of acclimatize myself to it, but I'm not ready to really immerse myself yet. Um, and, and because I I do honestly believe that. I mean, there are personal traumas I have worked out myself with my gaming groups because. It's real easy in our culture right now um, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, for various reasons, various people feeling powerless. Yeah. Um, and, and people make fun of D&D &D and role-playing games and think it's power fantasy. But the thing is, it kind of is a power fantasy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need a power fantasy. You need to see a world where you are in control of your destiny. I yeah. really don't understand what's wrong with power fantasies and why people <laughs> like drag that. I, I'm like, yeah, of course everybody wants to be more in control of their environment and be able to affect change and be less vulnerable. What this is completely understandable to me. Why are you? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but uh, to bounce off of what you said, um, we actually have had to remind people that we're not. We're not your therapists and yeah. we're not licensed. You're in control of what happens to you here. And, and we did implement kind of a, a almost a BDSM adjacent stoplight system where it's yeah. like we've given people cards before for things. And, uh, you know, we have a green one. So it's like if we are giving them like a signal, a hand signal or something like, are you OK? They can just flash it at us. And then they've got a yellow, which is I'm very uncomfortable. So, you know, let's take it like keep it at this level or I might have to duck out just so you know where I'm at. And then the red, which is just stop. And, uh, I know that we've, we've actually done some things where, um, we can't be hands-on about helping someone deal with their trauma, but we, we can make space for them to deal with that if they, if they're ready for that. I, I can't cater to people and stop my game, but I can give you like a room that is explicitly an out of game safe room. Nobody goes in unless they're trying to decompress or they need to cry. And I've got water and snacks and headphones and, you know, tissues and everything in there. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is I, I remember there's one scene, uh, that was at, uh, a LARP with the fantasy game. It was for Carnos where, um, we had a character who was going to be, uh, we wanted to do a scene where she got abused by her husband. And so what we did instead of like trying to dance around that one was we had a designated set. Essentially, we went to a separate room and we had a space where people could walk in and walk out to spectate if they wanted to. But it otherwise happened off screen for everybody who wasn't there. But if they wanted to come watch it because there was storytelling and information involved, then they could walk in and leave if they felt uncomfortable. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that I, I feel like is 
hard to tread the, the line there because, you know, I, I've helped myself this way. So I want to help other people help themselves this way. I think it's wonderfully, you know, um, like enlightening and assistive and all of those things. I, I think it's a very useful tool to have, but especially if it's somebody who doesn't have a therapist, I, I, I can't, mm-hmm get my hands on that problem because it's very yeah. unethical so if i can make room where i'm not touching it but you know you do you and if you need us to call somebody or something i can do that but yeah. but i'm not having to like hold your hand walk you through it because i i can't do that for you yeah. well and and to to kind of bring it back around mm-hmm. to talking about stranger things i think stranger things for all that it's a fantasy mm-hmm gave a really good grounding of how that works for those characters because they're not fighting D&D monsters, but they're using that D&D language Mm -hmm. to give themselves a handle to be able to deal with these things that are happening to the characters. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not actually a Demogorgon, but... It gave them a name. It gave them something to hold on to, to be able to say, okay, I have a way to put handles on this problem and now I can pull it around and see if I can find a solution. Yeah. Um, I love the way you put that. And that's exactly. And, and, and yeah. And cause, cause you know, in the real world, we don't have hit points, but if you have a way to sort of put, I said you put handles on it. You're you're giving yourself that space to be able to to take what would otherwise be an insurmountable problem and say, okay, I can at least understand it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can can I go on a wild tangent from go that one? It. Actually, that that just reminds me that the the terminology, if it works for you, then then it it helps. I mean, uh, I just am thinking of spoon theory, which is mm-hmm. is good enough on its own, and I'll briefly describe. It's the idea that for somebody who is disabled, they have a limited number of, of, you know, like points that they can spend on things they do throughout the day. The original narrative was somebody held a handful of spoons and was having their friends say, okay, well, what do you do to get up in the morning? Okay, well, that costs this many spoons. And then they would get around to the point where they were supposed to be at work and they're like, well, but I'm out of spoons. And they're like, well, you can borrow from tomorrow maybe, but you don't have any left. You've already used all the energy you're going to have for the day. And I have seen someone reframe it with I the D&D, this. yeah, the D&D uh, terminology of having spell slots because it works exactly oh, yeah. the same way. And I think that's perfect. So it's like, I'm out of spell slots for that, my man, especially because there's different levels where it's like, yeah. wow, that's a third level spell. That's going to take a lot and versus, you know, I've only got two of those in me, whereas I could do my cantrips all day. Yeah. Well, so. And, and uh, I've even seen one where they take it even further. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's a third level task. I'm out of third level spell. I can use my fifth level spell, but exactly. then I'm not going to work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. I've always, I, I use the spoons metaphor quite a bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have, I have a shirt that we all love um, that says uh, no more spoons, only knives left. <laughs> I love that one love a lot. It. Yeah. <laughs> Emma bought that one and I was just, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> it's my favorite now. But yeah, I, I, I do still like that metaphor, especially because, you know, it's become recognizable terminology for uh, anybody who deals with disability stuff. Um, I, I think it's a, a marvelous tool, but I, I, as a nerd and for the, the details that it gives, like you said, about ways that it actually works, I, I, I love the spell slot. 
metaphor. I really do. <laughs> I definitely plan out my day that way. Um, if I'm feeling like I'm feeling today, it's like, okay, what can I do? Mm-hmm. How, how am I getting to the end of this day without collapsing? Um, so what, what spoons, you know, can I use for this? And maybe I put something off until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, makes work a little difficult sometimes sometimes all I can do is work mm-hmm. it's like that's all I have the energy for and so that's a little bit of a bummer but mm-hmm. um I'm here today so this is like my favorite thing to do right now too oh, that's, that's a victory in and of itself completely because oh, yeah. because of course all of this still affects stuff that you want to do and yeah. uh, that's the hard part is to sit there and be like trust me I want to show up I'd rather be doing this it is absolutely driving me batty that I haven't mm-hmm. been able to do particular hobby but i can't <laughs> i'm still out of energy either way it doesn't matter how bad i want to do it i i just can't oh so. i i uh i am i am very well medicated for my depression and anxiety now and recently uh adhd because they they figured out that once they got past all the rest of the stuff that was still there <laughs> that's exactly uh, what happened um, to me yeah but um uh something that that what I, a discussion I had with my my therapist for years was it it's I would almost classify as a light dissociation where in my brain when I was having a really bad depressive episode it was uh, the way I always used, used to describe it is it was like Statler and Waldorf yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like a spectator in the back going you know there's no reason for you to feel like this. Mm-hmm. And, and then the rest of me is going, yeah, but I still do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That... <laughs> and and having that sort of like third person perspective of like, yeah, there's no reason for this. <laughs> you see the person screaming at the main character in the show, like, turn around. Yes. Don't do that. Don't go in there. Do this, etc. But, you know, you can't do anything about it. More literal in my case, but I absolutely completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, no, does that. It, 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 it's it's I, 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 I. The more I look at things, the the older I get, because you talk about like gender is a spectrum and autism. Yeah. I think everything is a spectrum. I mean, yeah. there, I mean truly, it, there is no hard line between point A and point B because there's always going to be, well, I'm a little closer to this than that. That's the end for now. Thank you for listening and keep rolling those dice.